Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome to the Rifleman Radio Show. The Rifleman Radio Show is brought to you by <clears throat> the Appleseed Project, which is the sole project of the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association is dedicated to bringing you the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the United States today. I mean, the absolute best. We worked really hard at our craft and. Uh, and we do a great job at it. <clears throat> we have hundreds of dedicated professional volunteer instructors running uh, uh, hundreds, and this year a thousand events nationwide. Every weekend, every single weekend, and across the United States, there's an apple seed. Rifle Marksmanship Weekend going on within a reasonable driving distance of you. All right? I don't know that any other organization that can say that. <clears throat> All across the United States, we're running events every single weekend. And uh, this isn't some big professional corporation. The Appleseed Project is a grassroots, uh, all-volunteer, nationwide, not-for-profit 
organization <clears throat> made up of folks just like uh, just like you and me, just regular folks who have gone to an apple seed and they've seen the quality of the instruction there and they've listened to the history and they've decided that they want to become involved in it. And folks, if you want to become involved in the Apple Seed Project, if you want to become an instructor, help spread the, the message of retaining our heritage of rifle marksmanship, of, of making sure that folks hear the history of our nation and understand how we got to be where we are, and helping to motivate folks to uh, safeguard and protect the rights and liberties that living in this nation affords them, you can be involved, uh, you can get involved with the program very easily. Just go to an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event, listen to the instruction, uh, shoot to a uh, 210 or above on the uh, Army Qualification Test, which is the the diagnostic tool that we use to see how you're doing. It's the old Army Qualification Test. <clears throat> Get a score of 210 or above on that, uh, attend two apple seeds, and then ask uh, the shoot boss, tell the shoot boss that you'd like to become an instructor. And they'll whip out the, the orange uh, instructor hat, and you will become a part of a program that's helping to change this nation. So it's very, very easy to do. And, uh, well, I say it's easy. It's it's easy for a dedicated person to do. And if you're not a dedicated person, then uh, you probably want to look for some other uh, organization to join anyway because we ask a lot of our instructors. <clears throat> we ask them to uh, accept the responsibility of uh, giving up up to uh, eight of their weekends a year and teaching other Americans at Appleseeds, teaching them how to safely and competently use the, their firearms, teach them about the history of when our nation started, which is April 19, 1775, about the events that occurred at Lexington Green, at the North Bridge in Concord, and about uh, Battle Road, all the way back to Boston. <clears throat> you, too, can become an instructor and help make sure that we don't lose this heritage of uh, rifle marksmanship. Because one of the things that we're, we've become really good at is bringing new folks into the shooting sports and helping folks who have been away for a while to refamiliarize themselves. And uh, But don't uh, be misled when I tell you that it's a fundamentals program because I'm not talking about a basics program. I'm not talking about a baby program. I'm talking about a hardcore fundamentals program. So whether you're shooting uh, for the first time on that uh, Saturday morning, uh, shooting for the first time in your life, or if you've been shooting for 40 years and you attend an apple seed event, either way, you're going to uh, get your money's worth. You're going to get something. Uh, you're going to learn something while you're there. All right. <clears throat> uh, the first few minutes of the show. Remember, we always have uh, we always set aside the first few minutes of the show for folks to call in and uh, and give a big thank you to any of their local crews that uh, that they would like to. 
and uh, we're always we always would like for you to do this. Another, we're going to do this every week. So make sure that you uh, have the telephone number written down three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero, and that you have uh, uh, your the people that you want to thank have that uh, the notes and stuff written down there too, so that you can call in and give them the thank you because. <clears throat> Everybody in the program is doing this uh, from the the goodness of their heart as volunteers. All right, nobody's getting paid to do this. Everybody's do, everybody's donating their time to do it, and we want to make sure that we're thanking all of them. So I would like to thank uh, <clears throat> the uh, the Appleseed Texas rifle marksmanship team that uh, just went to the Camp Swift shoot. They shot in several of the events at Camp Swift, and this is organized by uh, Lauren and Andrew LeCren, Double L and Star Fox, and uh, they uh, put this all together, and they put a great shooting team together and uh, and did a great job shooting in the, uh, the Camp Swift uh, shooting events there. And... Uh, they had a special Appleseed T-shirt printed up, and they shot as an Appleseed team, and they got uh, they got quite a few questions asked of them, and they did a great job. And I want to thank them because <clears throat> uh, they're already giving up uh, tons of weekends every year teaching, and now they're uh, now they're going on even further and helping to uh, to show the folks in the shooting sports that folks from Appleseed uh, are as skilled a contender, as professional contenders, as anybody else in the shooting program, all right? And I encourage uh, each of the states to do this. Put together some of your, uh, some of your folks as a shooting team and enter in some of the, uh, the local matches. That lets you uh, put your Appleseed uh, money where your Appleseed mouth is and shows folks that uh, Appleseed isn't just a 25-meter uh, uh, shooting organization. And I don't think anybody thinks that anymore. But that used to be one of the, uh, uh, one of the big uh, myths that people uh, like to talk about for the Appleseed pro- Project is that uh, uh, all we knew how to do was shoot at 25 meters. That's all which, to me, shows a lot of their ignorance anyway, because I think that uh, if you understand rifle marksmanship and ballistics, then you know that if you're shooting at 25 meters, your 25 meter zero is going to be approximately the same as your uh, uh, 275 to 300 or 250 to 275 meter zero uh, for your centerfire rifles for the 223 and uh, uh, 30 caliber rifles. So uh, so them just saying that uh, already, to me, shows a bit of ignorance on the subject. <clears throat> and then we have, uh, at many of the locations, we have actual distance uh, AQT. That's where folks uh, go to the events. They shoot all day at uh, 25 meter on Saturday. On Sunday, they shoot until uh, uh, lunchtime at the 25 meter. And then those folks that have their... Uh, have their groups down to about uh, you know ten minutes or so. 
then uh, they'll go over to the actual distance. They'll shoot actual distance AQTs from uh, after launch on. So, uh, and Appleseed didn't start out as a 25-meter project, all right? It started out as an actual distance uh, project. But in order to get the feedback quickly and efficiently, and because of the ballistics that I told you earlier, uh, we determined that we can shoot at 25 meters and get feedback really quick on our rifle, uh, uh, on uh, the getting down the skills and techniques and the data for the rifles. <clears throat> and then uh, the, also the the price of ammunition when it skyrocketed is also when we decided to open up the the program to rim fires and shoot at 25 meters with rim fires because we knew that uh, all of the skills and techniques that you learn and that, and that you uh, that you hone there at the 25 meter range on a rim fire can be directly transferred to your center fire and to actual distance. Now it doesn't always work back the other way. Being a good center fire shooter doesn't always make you a good rim fire shooter, but being able to shoot uh, your rimfire accurately, uh, all these skills and techniques that you learn at rimfire at 25 meters can be directly transferred to your 30 caliber and to actual distance. All right. So <clears throat> that is how we got started, and uh, and that's what we do. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to bring up, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times I, when I name the shows or when I put the the titles for the shows up, I do it I I do it by looking in Latin because I've always uh, I've always loved the Latin words and phrases. Uh, I love the sound of Latin, uh, and. A lot of times I put up uh, the titles, and the titles are in Latin. They're Latin phrases, and they're Latin phrases that have been in use for thousands of years. And I'll pick one that's applicable to the subject that I'm going to uh, speak about, and I'll use it. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, last week, <coughs> V sent me a uh, a Latin phrase that... Uh, I meant to mention last week, but I didn't. And that is uh, a phrase from Publius Ovidius Naso, uh, who was a, uh, a Roman poet around uh, 43 B.C. to 17 A.D. And <clears throat> he had written several books and a lot of poetry. And one of the phrases that he had written out that is credited to him is uh, a buoyant studia in Morris. And what that translates to in English is practices passionately pursued become habits. Practices passionately pursued become habits. And V thought that would be a... Uh, a great motto for a rifleman, and I think it is absolutely a great motto for a rifleman. And uh, I wouldn't mind having a T-shirt like that, having a rifle with the Latin phrase under it, 
because uh, people see a rifle and they see the Latin, and they're going to ask you, what, what, what is that? What does it mean? Practices passionately pursued become habits, and that's what we do at Appleseed. We have practices that we passionately pursue, the, the practice of instructing rifle marksmanship and history. And we passionately pursue this, and eventually it becomes a habit. And our habit is to teach people to shoot safely and accurately and to teach people the history of a nation. And as a rifleman, that's what you do. Abuint Studia in Morris. And uh, I may just end up having that made into a T-shirt because uh, because I think it's very sharp. <clears throat> All right, uh, I can't see the chat tonight for some reason. I don't know what it is. Uh, it is not opening for me. I have all of the uh, software downloaded. And perhaps it'll open up soon. So if you have something you want to uh, to tell me, then uh, you can put it in there, and then uh, the call screener can uh, you can shoot me a message on it if there's something that I don't see in chat. Don't think that I'm ignoring you because I'm not. I just don't. It just hasn't opened for me yet. <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> tonight uh, we have on a couple of guys um, who are fellow. Appleseed instructors, and uh, one of the things that I've told you guys is that uh, that part of Appleseed, part of what we want to do for Appleseed, is all of our all of the folks that have some commercial venture running. Then we are more than uh, happy to have you uh, to get your information, put it on the program, and. Uh, if it's something that we can talk about on the program, we'll do that. Uh, we've done that with uh, quite a few of our Appleseed brothers and sisters, uh, folks that are uh, either making uh, handmade soap, uh, like the uh, uh, like our folks, uh, our friends in New Mexico, uh, if they're selling uh, uh, long-term storage food. Uh, and I believe he's also in Mexico too, in New Mexico too. And I trust uh, the call screener. I'm sorry, folks. I've been outside all day in the <clears throat> in the dry and dust, and I keep taking drinks, but it's not uh, not clearing all the dust out yet. <clears throat> anyway, the call screener should be uh, putting this into the uh, into the chat room. The uh, Addresses for the folks, and uh, we have uh, uh, Poker Face. That's the folks that uh, have kindly contributed the bump music to us. And they're a great uh, uh, revolution protest rock group, and uh, they have been uh, playing for a long time. And they've donated the the music that we use for the show now at no charge. <clears throat> And tonight, we're going to have some other folks on. Now, you know that I've had uh, Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast on. He's going to be back on in, a, in a, probably in about a month or so, because I'd like to uh, have him swing through and talk to you folks about prepping and uh, living a prepping lifestyle. 
because uh, I've told you this many times before that as an Appleseed instructor member, as an American citizen, you have a sacred obligation to protect and defend the freedoms and liberties that living this nation affords you. And one of the ways that you do that is by making sure that you and your family are safe and prepared for anything that might come down the road at you. And this could be anything. When we talk about survival and prepping, we're not talking about uh, the end of the world as we know it. Now, you know, at the very, very end of the road, at the end of this discussion, uh, a lot of times that's where it'll end up. Uh, but uh, uh, what we're talking about is the uh, the things that uh, most often occur, uh, and you start there by uh, preparing, and you head out to the other direction. So the things that uh, most often occur is uh, somebody gets sick, somebody breaks a leg, there's a snowstorm or an ice storm or some flooding or a tornado or a hurricane, all of those kinds of things. And as an Appleseed member, as an Appleseed instructor, we expect you to be above average, all right? We expect you to be a, above average in all ways, as being a, an excellent instructor, as being a leader in your community, as by setting the example uh, yourself, by living a, a life that, uh, that is a moral and ethical life. I'm not going to tell you that we're, trying to, that we're going to uh, in any way uh, dig into your life or anything. We're not. I'm just saying that that's one of the things that we expect of you uh, as an American citizen. And along with that, we expect that <clears throat> you take steps to make sure that you're prepared, and not just prepared enough so that you survive uh, some situation like a hurricane or tornado or something like that, but prepared enough that you can survive it and you can provide leadership and guidance to your community uh, during some type of an event that affects your community. All right? And... Uh, so every once in a while we'll have uh, Jack Spirko on from the Survival Podcast, and tonight we're having uh, In the Rabbit Hole, which is uh, Aaron Frankel and his buddies. Aaron is a uh, is an Appleseed instructor with the Texas program, and he's been with us for quite a while. And uh, he's a uh, he's a pretty uh, pretty dandy fellow, and. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, he's going to talk to you tonight about urban survival. And that's where uh, that's where he and his guys uh, have uh, plugged themselves into uh, the prepping and survival. And uh, one of the things that I'm sure that we'll be talking about is making sure that uh, that you understand that uh, prepping is not something that you do uh, once somebody told you that there's an event, that there's a hurricane or a tornado or something else that's on the way, all right? Because, uh, number one, you're not always fortunate enough to get any advanced uh, warning for a tornado or, or anything like that. And number two, if you wait until something comes, 
then you're really not in any better position uh, than any of the rest of the mob that is uh, that is scrambling through the Walmart or HEB, uh, devouring the shelves like a plague of locusts. <clears throat> so, uh, so being prepared is just that. It is living your life in a fashion that uh, that you are maintaining a prepared. Uh, lifestyle. So I want to thank uh, I want to thank Aaron and Jonathan for uh, for donating their time tonight coming on. So uh, Aaron and Jonathan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having us, Scout. Yeah, thanks, Scout. Good to be on. Well, uh, did you guys hear what I was just talking about? That uh, I just gave the folks a little bit of a uh, a little bit of my spiel. Uh, which I tell folks, and that is that that uh, being prepared or, or living a prepping lifestyle is what we want folks to do rather than uh, running out the last minute and trying to take care of everything. So, uh, so what I try and get folks to do is to understand that uh, that being prepared is not something you do at the last minute. You you live your life in such a fashion that when something comes down the road, and it could be anything, that when something comes down the road, you've already done, in the preceding months and years, you've already done the best you can to ensure that you're ready to face it. Exactly. And I think anything is a very key point to make about that, is if you're planning for just one event, then... If it doesn't happen or if it comes and goes, people have a tendency to fall back asleep. Whereas, like what you were talking about, if you live the lifestyle and you incorporate it into your life and figure out, if you look at it long enough, you find ways that by being prepared, those have immediate benefits to your life now. Uh, for instance, you know, food storage. If, you, if you're storing what you eat and eating what you store and cycling through it you and building up uh, kind of stores, then you come to a point where you can take advantage of opportunity buys. And people say, oh, well, you know, if the disaster comes and goes, and what if I have all this food and I, you know, I don't need it? Well, if you're cycling through it and it's become part of your life, then it doesn't matter if a disaster happens or not. And you're able to, as far as having that cash out, like, well, it's a capital deferment. It's, it's like anything. It's like, shaving razors or shaving cream or deodorant or paper towels or any of the things that we consume in our daily lives, you're going to use that at some point anyway. So if you're doing it the wrong way and it's not really part of your lifestyle and you're just stuffing things away for just a bad day, then that that does have a tendency to just have opportunities where you're only tying up money. It's not really benefiting your life in the here and now as well. And so those are those are kind of some of the things that we try to get into. And we also take the show from the standpoint, to, to back up for a second, we kind of looked at what was out there and nobody was really speaking to urban preppers, people that, you know, maybe they lived in the city, maybe maybe they did drive a BMW or, or maybe they didn't or but they were concerned and they were very interested in taking personal responsibility for their safety and even more importantly, their family's safety. 
Right. Yeah, and just to add that. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I was just, just to add say, to that I'll, let you, I'll let you jump back in just a second, Jonathan, but I just want to tell folks that, that is what, that's what you guys do. You guys have taken survival, and you're, doing, you're running it from the perspective of folks who are in a city, and that's kind of what's setting you guys uh, apart from a lot of the other folks is that you guys, uh, and it's not just only work in city stuff, but it's from that viewpoint. So exactly. Yep. That's it. No, and that's what I was saying. It was. It's a lot of that viewpoint, and then it's a lot of the lifestyle aspects, which is we're all about that. It's not just survival for the the worst possible event scenario. So it's the hurricane. Yeah, be prepared for the hurricane. But you know, if the end of the world doesn't come, we don't want you to be disappointed. We we actually want you to be prepared for that too. You know, be prepared. Right, and I'll tell you that uh, a lot of folks do exactly what you mentioned earlier. They wait until they see something is in the headlights. They run down and they buy tons of stuff. They got it all sitting in the uh, in the garage, and then when it doesn't come, they go, "Oh man, I got to sell all this junk." So it's a great opportunity for everybody else, but they're doing it in a in a very uh, dumb way. So first right. of all, let's uh, you guys uh, give us the uh, the bare bones tenets of uh, of survival of prepping and survival. What are the, the things? There's the five things you got to prepare for, and what are they? Well. We look at it more instead of preparing for five specific things. We are we have three main tenants that we've wrapped up into what we call survival chi, and it sounds kind of cheesy. And we're not going to ask anybody to don a robe or shave their head, but it's the idea that through focusing on community, your health, and your intelligence, if if you're really focusing on those things and keeping those things in mind as you're prepping, you're going to cover all of your bases. Um, and you can break community down to your family, your friends, your local, your national. I mean, just like with getting involved in anything on a national level, you're working to make things better. And with health, that encompasses your mental health, your physical health, and your financial health. And with intelligence, that that's, brings in skills and understanding history, which is two of the big reasons we really love Appleseed, and it also incorporates current events, paying attention to what's going on in the world around you. It doesn't mean you have to be become freaked out about it, but certainly making sure you understand what's going on locally, regionally, and nationally, and even globally around you. And from that, then we can focus on other things, and we can focus on saying, okay, well, maybe I need to pick up these skills, which is how I originally came across Appleseed, which was that I didn't have traditional rifle skills. All I had was tactical. And, I, and you know, a lot of us, as we start off in preparation, and we're, we, we worry about the really big dramatic things first. And so, of course, I leaned towards tactical at first. And then I was like, well, you know, it's much less likely that it's going to be some red dawn scenario where I'm running and gunning through the streets, fighting off Russians or whoever it is that we believe is is coming to uh, take us away that day. And said, you know, I, I really need the practical aspects of this. You know, what does it mean to fire a rifle accurately to either defend myself or to put food on the table? And then, of course, I fell in love with the history aspect of it. So... And just to throw in really quickly, the overarching aspect here is once we make that decision, you know, once you make that decision that you're going to do these things, community, health, intelligence, even down to the apple seed, the overarching factor we put on top of all of it is the idea of individual responsibility. And it all boils down to taking responsibility for yourself, your family, 
and the things you need to do to get things done and be prepared. Sorry, right. Eric. And that's exactly, I'm glad you said that because very few people have any understanding of the concept of individual responsibility. Everybody likes to shout out uh, uh, their understanding of individual rights and individual right. freedom, but nobody wants to accept that the reason they have those or that the reason that they are are blessed with those is because they have an individual responsibility to maintaining them. And when I was a while ago, when I was saying the five tenets, I wasn't I wasn't really talking about uh, situations. What I was talking about is that you know a lot. Of, I don't uh, I don't talk uh, prepping or anything at apple seeds, but right. uh, but every once in a while somebody will come up and then they'll bring up the, uh, the subject or they'll say they'll start talking about it and, I, and I'll say okay, well, what is your survival? Uh, what is your prep plan? They say, well, I've got uh, this rifle and this rifle and this rifle, and I've got a thousand rounds for each one. And then I'm sitting there waiting, and I go, okay, all right, <laughs> is that it? That's your plan? Because survival is not about uh, it's not about rifles. There's five main tenets of uh, survival. That's uh, food, water, shelter, security, and then you have the next one, which is energy, a way to provide energy uh, to yeah. run your stuff. So, exactly. And what I tell folks is that, look, I've led a, a pretty violent life, uh, and uh, and I've been in uh, a, I've been in you know in several uh, uh, firearms situations uh, throughout my life, but they've been very it's been pretty far between them. Uh, however, I have to take a drink of water every single day, and I usually eat at least two meals a day. So what what is going to be more important, the gun battle that uh, that occurs every ten years, fifteen years, or the water that I need to drink every day? So your 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 prepping plan has to be a comprehensive plan that takes in the things that you're going to need most. And just like you were talking a while ago about food, uh, you know I do get uh, you know you have some folks that are that will tell you. Oh yeah, I got some food. I went down and I bought uh, you know 300 pounds of rice and 300 pounds of beans. <laughs> okay, all right. And what else? So well, that's it. And I started thinking, man, you know, I, I want to survive. I do want to survive, but I would like to survive in a fashion that that wasn't just bread and water. And so, I mean, yeah. with that with that 500 pounds of rice or whatever, I like to get uh, two or three pounds of salt and a couple of pounds of pepper and. You know, and whenever you were whenever you were storing food, uh, just like you mentioned earlier, uh, Aaron, you don't you don't go get the uh, half ton of rice and the half ton of beans and stuff like that. You get what you eat. Get what you exactly. eat. Exactly. And then you 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 rotate it through and you eat it. You get the stuff that you eat. If you like to have uh, spaghetti uh, once a week, all right. Then when you go to the store, you buy that spaghetti that you're going to eat once a week, and then you buy one more serving of it every week. So now at the end of a month, you have uh, two months of your spaghetti. And you just pick something like that, and you just keep adding and keep adding on that so that uh, as you're living this prepping lifestyle, you're getting a little bit more each time so that you're building up your your ability to survive first for two or three days. And if you can do that, good. All right, now you work on a week. So that's kind of what I was talking about with the the five tenets of of survival and and how do you guys uh, how do you approach those five tenets is from the urban uh, survival standpoint? Well, from an urban standpoint, we 
tell people to start with the absolute basics first, like we were talking about. You know, start with the concept to start copy canning, which is a pretty top popular term within the survival community to start storing what you eat and start buying a little bit at a time. Every time you go to the grocery store, if you're going to buy one can, we'll buy two cans and slowly start building up your stores. But you do come to a point where that you can only build up so much that way. And so then we tell people, okay, well, once you're there, how about developing the skills going to intelligence? How about developing the skills of gardening so that it doesn't matter if you do have to leave your home or something, even though you've got a garden there, you take that knowledge and those skills with you that you could reproduce what you were doing at home. And then the same thing with livestock, which is something that I've been doing. I've got an area where I've got eight chickens and four rabbits, and we're getting ready to start breeding the rabbits here. So you start, you know, it's like, okay, well, I have a way of self-reliance, but now I need a way of self-sufficiency. How do I make those systems now grow? And how do I do it in such a way that it does make my life better? I mean, now... Now, in the next few months, as we start producing rabbits and I start eating more rabbits, it's I'm eating healthier and I'm in tune with those animals and I know how those animals were cared for, I know what they were fed, things like that. And so we take people through a gradual step. And, you know, it's the Jonathan's got a, a great thing that he always talks about crawl, walk, run. And so if you just try to get people to run right off the back and, you know, it's like any time that if you're into survival and you try to talk to people that aren't interested in survival or maybe they're starting to wake up just slightly. Well, if you start trying to talk to them about every last thing that can destroy the world, you're going to, they're going to stick their head right back in the sand. But if you start off with crawl and give them, you know, here's the basics, start storing food, learn some skills, and then you move and you progress slowly forward and forward and then before you know it, you're you're in a lifestyle that is maintainable and you're in a situation that it is benefiting your life today. That's exactly yeah. right. And we do the same thing with apple seed. And you brought up a great point. And one of the things I try not to do anymore is say survival because <laughs> even though it's become more mainstream, uh, it still is, you know, we're, it's still tainted with that tinfoil hat thing. So I, I try and talk about just being uh, prepared and being preppers. But you brought mm-hmm. up a great point, which is if you tell them too much, then, and we face this with Appleseed too, because one of the tough things that I tell folks at Appleseed is I say, look, <clears throat> we're talking to you today about your responsibility to the nation. And I know it's a big thing for you to think about and get your head around because you're going to have two ways that you're going to be able to look at this. You You can either deny the fact that your nation requires your help now in order for it to be maintained and and in order to secure and safeguard the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation affords you. You can deny that and go back to the couch and uh, get your remote control and start living your life through your 30-minute sitcoms, one after the other. (laughs) Or you can accept that there is a problem that needs your attention, but if you accept it, then that comes with a whole host of responsibilities. It means, okay, now I've got to do this, and now I've got to do this. But it's important for you to do that, for you to accept that. The same way that if you tell people, uh, and especially if you tell them the end of the world stuff, because that's, it's, it's way too big a thing 
uh, for people to get their arms around. And plus, if you say end of the world, well, that's the end of the world. So yeah. there's, no, there's no preparing for that other than getting right with God. So mm-hmm. if you're going to tell people the end of the world, then uh, then you can expect them to duck and hide. So better just to tell them that, uh, are you prepared? If you Can you make sure that you and your family can get through three days of an ice storm? Uh, if they say, yeah, then great. Then what about a week? Uh, if they say no, then you say, well, listen, why... Here's here's one of the things the best thing you can do to get through it, and you can begin to lead them in through that way. So, and Jonathan, I think I heard you get ready yeah. to jump in before I went in my spiel. What do you got? Oh no, no. All I was saying was one of the th- you asked about how we uh, recommend preparing for the five tenants, and one of the things we stress and in, in that survival cheat concept, community is number number one. If you live out, say, and we know where your ranch is, but if you live out in that general part of Texas you have a pretty small community. It's you and maybe a few neighbors. If you live in an urban environment, you have a lot of neighbors. You have a large community around you. And getting to know that community, not just getting to know them, but helping them to understand what preparedness means, means a whole lot in in your preparedness. Because when you've got 50 neighbors on your block and each one of them all of a sudden doesn't have what they need to do to survive a situation, they're going to be knocking on your door. Um, so if you've made friends with your neighbors and you've explained to your neighbors what you're doing and give them an idea of how they can prepare and you help them prepare and you create a strong community where maybe one person's responsible for water and another person's responsible for something else, some of those shared responsibilities, we are stronger as a unit than we are individually. And that's one of the things we stress in an urban environment. Exactly. One of the things that I tell people uh, when I'm talking to them about this is that, listen, you want everybody that you know, everybody that you care about, you want them to prepare, not just yeah. because you like them and not because you want them to survive, but because when something happens, they're going to be coming to you. And you only have a finite amount of uh, of stuff that you have, so it's going to put a lot of pressure on you. Every time... Exactly. Uh, Every time you get someone else involved in this, then you are uh, you are increasing your your own odds of surviving the event. Oh yeah, one of the things we hear all the time in the survival community, I'm sure you've heard it too, your listeners have heard it. It's that whole idea of I want to be a lone wolf. Well, the lone wolf is a myth. There's no such thing as a lone wolf. Wolves, tra- wolves travel in packs. They survive in packs. They hunt in packs. They live in packs. So as soon as we start realizing that you don't want to be a lone wolf, you want to be part of a wolf pack, and you want to be a, a successful wolf pack. And that's when I think people really start getting it. It's, wait, you're right. I've never heard of a wolf that just travels by itself. <laughs> right. And listen, I, I, you, do, you, I, you come across those folks, uh, I'm sure you do as, as often as I do, the folks that talk about <laughs> how they're going to uh, they're going to withdraw into their their bunker, their compound, with just them and their rifle and their food, and oh, yeah. they're going to survive. And number one, uh, there's always somebody that's better than you. And if there's oh, not, yeah. then there's then there's 50 people who can come and be better than you. Number two, yeah. who wants to survive by themselves? I mean, exactly. everybody saw the everybody saw the Omega Man. What kind of a life was that? Uh, exactly, and that's that's the rest of it. You could survive, but what you really want to do is live. Yeah. 
You want to live and you want to live well, and that's what survival is really all about. It's living. You brought it up too. You know, you don't want to be eating red beans and rice for the rest of your life, or for the next six months, even, or even three weeks. You want to be eating food you're used to. You want it to be comfortable. You want to live the best life you can for the longest period of time you can. Right, and when you talk about that urban, whenever you're talking about the folks around, living around you and stuff like that, and getting to know your neighbors, uh, it is increasing not just your odds of survival, but it's also decreasing uh, or helping you in your uh, in your everyday life. You get to know your neighbors, oh, yeah. and you get to know – you let them know you're watching out for them, ask them to watch out for you, uh, yep. you know, get to know the folks that you can work with there, uh, get involved in the community night uh, where you meet your neighbors and you help develop a plan. And it doesn't have to be a, uh, a scary tinfoil hat type of plan to stave off the alien invader. <laughs> it can just be a discussion of what you, what you and your neighbors are going to do. You say, hey, guys, Y'all ever think about uh, what would happen if we had like a a tornado come through here or a hurricane? I don't know. Or is is does anybody ever thought about that? Or is there any way we could work together as a team to, you know, to maybe help increase our odds of surviving something like that? And uh, leave them in scout, that way. Scout, our alien survival plan is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody wants to jump straight to the alien survival plan. It's the most fun one, but. Awesome. But a lot of people, like I said, that's a, a lot of people. You you say something like that, and they're immediately going to go, I, "Okay, I got to go." Two and a half men's on. I got to go watch it. Yeah. Because uh, exactly. they don't want to have to think about that. Now, that's why Aaron's done such a great job on the blog. And one of the things he did last year that was fantastic was uh, zombies as a metaphor for survival. But it's not actually survival. It's just a metaphor, and it's a fun way to read about it. I think that's what people need to start understanding. Yeah, these alien stories and the zombie stories are all fun and they're crazy, but it's not real. But think about it in terms of, okay, so the zombies aren't real, but there could be a tornado that comes through. And then what do you do? Or, you know, the aliens aren't real, but there could be a hurricane that hits Houston and you still lose power. Maybe it wasn't an alien ship that uh, that did it, but the hurricane sure did feel bad and that, that power is still out for 17 days. So well, even that show that even the show that's on right now, uh, or I saw a, a couple of episodes of it. Uh, I get this at the beginning of the season. I don't remember what it's called now, but there was a show about uh, zombies on, and and the reality is is even they are not running it as a show about zombies. You know, the whole show is actually supposed to be uh, metaphorical, and you can easily see that those people, as long as you take away the scary makeup and and the the brain eating and stuff like that then it's no different than the people that are going to be walking around saying, hey, listen, uh, I've lived the last uh, 30 years of my life uh, without even thinking uh, for one second about how to take care of myself. So I need yep. to eat all your supplies. So can you get out of the way so I can start eating them? And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's, who, that's, that's what you're going to deal with. Yep, you just hit the nail on the head. So you have to make sure that, uh, especially in a in an urban situation, that uh, that – that you are prepared and that you there's no way of doing it alone. If you can't get your neighbors involved, then you've got to get some of your buddies and say, here's what, here's what we're going to do in the case of a tornado. Here's what we're going to do in the case of a, uh, of a flood. Or, like I said, when, when you start preparing uh, to encounter a situation, you start with the most likely to occur, and you work your way out from that. And like I said, that, for Texas, that can be a... Uh, a three-day ice storm, which we get every five or six years. Uh, or it can be as simple as uh, breaking your leg 
are losing your job, uh, which is a yeah. very uh, very common occurrence nowadays. If you lose your job, but because you had been preparing the year prior to you losing your job, if you lose your job and you've got to find another job, uh, you have a limited amount of cash on hand. Now, the one thing that you can be happy about is, you know what? I saved. I put up uh, six months of food uh, in order to prepare pre- prepare for a survival situation. So now all I have to do is I got to do my mortgage and my car payment and insurance. The food is already taken care of. That's a huge chunk of your finances and your life that you have exactly. to worry about. Especially if you have a family. If you have a family, if you're a man and you have a family, or if you're uh, any parent and you have a family, one of the first things you think about is how will I feed my family? How will I feed them? And if you have uh, six months of food put away, that's a huge relief on you. If you've got your leg broken or you've got uh, you just lost your job, all right, no problem. I'll get another job, even if I got to work at a gas station or or a Seven Eleven or Walmart. But how am I going to feed my family? Well, we're going to eat the stuff that I put away, not the rice and beans stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that I put away that we normally eat, and uh, and that's what we're going to eat for the next uh, month until I get another job. That's what preparing is for. You know, that's the way your grandparents, uh, your great-grandparents, that's how they did it. When I went into my grandparents' uh, basement, it was like uh, it was like a wonderland to me because it was a huge basement, the whole, uh, the whole size of the footprint of the house. And floor to ceiling, there was uh, cans of food and uh, dried uh, grains and tools and... Uh, you name it, it was down there. There was even a uh, uh, an old spear in the corner. And I remember asking my grandfather one time, I was just a little kid, but I asked him, I go, what is this? What's that spear for? And he just said, well, you never know when you'll need a spear. And uh, I just thought that was very appropriate because uh, you, you don't know when you're going to need a spear, right? Anyway, mm-hmm. he was preparing. They were, they were living their lives so that they, and this wasn't, this wasn't an abnormal thing. This is something that everybody used to do, but yeah. we no longer do it. And yeah. you can't count. Nowadays, we live in a world where, especially folks in the city, I see doing this a lot more than folks out rurally. And the main reason out rurally is because if you don't have some food, you know, like for us, we've got to drive 60-some uh, miles round trip to go to the nearest store. And uh, so we keep a lot more food on hand probably than the city. A lot of folks in the city, they've got uh, two or three days of food in their house. They're used to just whipping by the store on the way home and grabbing what they need. And I'm sure everybody probably knows by now that uh, we live in a world that is only three days away from being totally broke down as far as food or supplies. Nobody, no stores keep uh, vast amounts on hand anymore. They get the food trucked in and it goes directly onto the shelves in a scheduled fashion, uh, and they do that uh, several times uh, a week. So if something happens, something it doesn't even have to be a big thing. It could be a tornado. It could be a bridge that broke down over the Mississippi, and, and no more trucks get through. Now, there's only three days of food in that store, and you better get there on the first or second day, because by the third day there's just uh, some paper goods and dog food and stuff like that. Yeah, I was on that note. I was reading an article by uh, a guy, his name's Kevin Reeve, and he was down in New Orleans right after Katrina, and he walked into, I think it was a Walmart, 
And he talked about how surreal it was because the place had been completely locked up, shut up, but there was absolutely nothing on the shelves, not lawn chairs, not clothes. The place had been completely cleaned out. And it was because of just-in-time inventory, which is what you were saying, where it's just, you know, things are perfectly timed so that these stores don't have to keep massive loads of inventory on hand. Their, their, their inventory is coming in as fast as it's going out. And, but that was kind of what, you took, what I took away from it, which is how amazing that was, that he walked in. It hadn't been looted, but in a matter of just a couple of days, a Walmart had been completely cleared out of stuff that had absolutely nothing to do with surviving. It was just gone. And that's, right. that's the reality we live in today, especially in urban environments. Right. And when those folks clean out the Walmarts and the Sefcos and the 7-Elevens and, and the mom-and-pop grocery stores, once they clean everything out like that and there's no more food, they're going to be looking for alternative ways to get food. And that means uh, getting it from you if need be. So you need to make sure that you have your food that you have that you're not waiting until the last second so you can try and rush down there and fight people for a can of beans you need to make sure that you have put some thought into this and you're living in a lifestyle which allows you instead of trying to spend uh, five hundred dollars uh, real quickly to get uh, three weeks worth of food or even two weeks worth of food that you're doing it a little bit at a time that every week you're putting another 20 bucks uh tacking another 20 bucks or your grocery shopping, and that is getting you another two days of food, three days of food, and that, uh, that that by the end of the month you have two months of food, and by the end of two months you have four months of food, and you keep doing that until you've prepared yourself. Uh, I suggest, I most folks will suggest having a year's worth of food uh, put away, and sometimes that might be hard for you folks that are living in apartments and stuff like that, but there's still it's still doable. You can stack, you can put stuff in uh, plastic containers, put it under your beds, uh, put a case of stuff in the closet, uh, stuff like that. <clears throat> you can get a uh, a uh, storage uh, unit and uh, pack some food and gear and stuff away in there. Uh, what about, uh, like you said, there's uh, five tenets of uh, water, food, shelter, security. security. What about uh, what about water? What do you guys suggest for water? Because in most cases, the cities, uh, their utilities, uh, the municipal utilities, will continue to run. But what happens if it doesn't? How will you get water? Well, water also becomes. We usually tell people about two weeks, two to three weeks. It depends, obviously, if they're, we're talking about urban preppers, then then space is a real premium. But it's store as much as you can. And we, it bases on one gallon per person per day and then about a half gallon per animal or pet per day. And then from there, it's, you know, going back to skills. Then we say, okay, well, once you get to that point, once you get to a point where you're comfortable, start looking at ways of how can you procure water? Can you set up a rain catchment system? And that can that be incorporated in your life? And it's not because you're worried about saving the seals or the polar bears or whatever spotted owl, it's, look, yeah, these things may benefit uh, the environment, but, but really they are systems of support for you. They're systems of self-sufficiency for the individual. Well, what about, uh, I'm sure that you probably get the ask the question too, and uh, we talk about it, and uh, I've actually got, uh, I've gone uh, a step further in, uh, I've actually set up uh, some groups 
across the southern United States so far, and uh, and we can talk more about that uh, later. But anyway, at the meetings we talk about uh, the subject of bugging out and bugging in, and there's reasons to do both, and there's definite uh, ways to do both, but there's plenty of reasons that you need to be ready and able to bug in, that is, staying in your location. And uh, and some of that could be that it's going to be a, uh, you know, a short, short-term uh, situation like a, uh, like a hurricane or a power outage or something like that. But it could also be something like, uh, you know, we haven't had a good pandemic in about, uh, oh, about uh, 90 years, but uh, you could have one, even a small one, at any time. That would be one of the things that would probably want to make you bug in. That is going inside your house and shutting the doors and not coming back out for 60 days. Yeah, we've, that's something that we do address, and that is bugging in, I think, for, for people first starting off in it, I think they get, uh, they, they love to obsess over, and, uh, and we've joked about it many a times about how I, do, how I obsessed over it in the beginning over bug out bags, and it's this, I'm going to run away from things. But in reality, if, if you look at things from the most likely out to the least likely, bugging in more often than not is the answer. Because if you're bugging out, for one, you're immediately putting yourself in a vulnerable situation or you're putting yourself in or, and your family in situations where you don't have access to all of the things that you've stored. You don't have, you know, if we're going to look at security, you don't have the tactical advantage. You don't know where you are. You don't know what's around you. Whereas if, you, if you're in your home, you know it a lot better than anybody else coming up on you. Um, but, you know, it's it's the idea that, yeah, a hurricane could come, a tornado could come and take your home or, or come through your city, and there are instances where you need to leave your home. But more often, than not, if we look back through history, usually the answer is to, to stay in and, as we like to say here in Texas, hunker down. Right. And you, we certainly saw the uh, that even if you had wanted to bug out during the last uh, big event, which was Rita, then uh, you better be way ahead of the rest of the folks because... It doesn't always work too good, you know. They, even yeah. they, even the second yeah. time when they said, "Okay, we got everything fixed, everything. It's going to work like a charm." And what happened? People still. Uh, it took them uh, 26 hours to make a one-hour trip, and uh, and the majority of the folks ended up when they could turning around, and going back home because there was no way to get out of the city. So for the, for a lot of folks, the best thing you're going to do is at least plan. Uh, for the short term, to bug in, wait till everything uh, the hysteria has passed before you make your next decision. And you should be equipped to be bu- to bug into your home. But you should also, just because you say, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to make sure that that this home is where I'm going to survive at," nobody should uh, should have that as their only plan. You should have a plan. So that if you have to leave your urban uh, home, that you have somewhere you can go. You should have a plan of where you're going to go, a way to get there on three secondary roads, and you should have a trigger that that gets pulled to send you off. That means 
You don't sit there and you wait and you agonize on what you're going to do or when you're going to leave. You say, okay, we're going to stay here until X, Y, Z happens. When that happens, that's going to be the trigger. We're immediately going to pile in and take off to uh, the secondary location. Exactly, exactly. That, and that is a really important aspect of being prepared is to know when you're going to jump and when you're going to bug out and how and why. And that everyone involved in in that process knows the the same information, that they are aware of that same decision tree and that they are aware of how it's going to work and where you're going to go, what are the other locations and what are the other routes that are going to be taken and what are the, the, what are the various dangers of those different routes. Um, so uh, that is a very important part of it, and, and the rule of threes there definitely applies, three different routes, three different locations outside of the, the area. Within, you know, and I, when I look at it, I try to think of it as know how far you can get on a single tank of gas in each vehicle you have, and don't, you know, to try to make plans, is vi- to, making bug out plans to go beyond that one tank of gas is very tricky. Um, and unless you're doing fuel storage too, which which gets more complicated, but have a plan, three different places that you can get to that you know are going to be safe or that are going to be safe options with three different routes where you can get to them on one tank of gas and from there take a breather, clear your head, and further evaluate the situation. Right, and make sure that you make sure that as part of your part of your long term plan, that's why we call this living a a prepping lifestyle is because you don't you don't wait and and try and force all this through at one time like a uh, like a episode of constipation that <laughs> you're going to you're going to as part of your program you're going to say here here's what we're going to do uh, this weekend on Saturday we're going to take we're going to drive uh, our uh, alternate route one we're going to make sure that we know what the road looks like and. Uh, and take a look along the drive and see if there's any problems. Are there any bridges that we have to cross? Is there any uh, uh, planned uh, uh, construction on the road, et cetera? How long does it take? Uh, along the route, are there, are there any places where we could, uh, uh, we could pull off the road into, you know, into some secluded area, et cetera, and, and, and drive your routes, you know, drive your routes out of there so that you know where it's going to be. Also, you can't take uh, if you got you and yourself, and uh, even if it's just you and it by yourself, it's going to be very hard to get uh, even six months worth of food in the vehicle with you. So, if you might want to look at uh, your secondary location, and uh, maybe you got a friend or a relative somewhere, and you say, "Hey, would you mind if I kept this trunk in your garage, this footlocker?" And in that footlocker, you've got uh, 30 days' worth of uh, prepared food and, and uh, anything else on the rest of your list. And, and you have it sitting there in their, in their garage, and they're storing it for you, as a good friend would. And, uh, and put that out in a couple of the locations so you have something else out there. During Rita, <clears throat> one of the things we saw when you mentioned gas a while ago, I wanted to put this in. During Rita, what we saw is we saw the evacuation of the city and it was just like a huge horde of hungry locusts tearing out of the city and devouring everything along their route. They ate everything. Everything, all the stores were cleaned uh, to bare shelves. All the gas tanks, uh, the storage tanks were all emptied, and uh, and that caused everybody 
there was no gas to get on the way. So everybody ended up running out of gas on the freeway and blocking the freeway. There was not even any gas to buy because it had all been sold. So, uh, so that needs to reinforce your ideas about uh, having a plan and deciding to bug in or bug out, and then even for fuel storage. You know, you don't have to have a whole uh, 50-gallon barrel of fuel in your garage, but what you can have, you can go to Walmart, you can buy two of the six-gallon containers uh, and keep them filled with fuel and uh, keep them in your garage in a safe way in your garage. And then what you do then is uh, once a week, uh, you take those two cans, you put them in, you put the gas in your car, and then you drive to the gas station and fill those two back up so that you don't have gas sitting in your garage that's getting old uh, from being sitting there for six months. So, And the other thing is, just like my grandfather would tell you, is it doesn't cost any more to keep your tank full than it does to, uh, to let it get down to empty. There's no reason that on the way home, even if you only need $5 worth, that you don't stop at the gas station and put that 5 bucks in so your car is sitting in your driveway with a full tank. Exactly. And I think one of the things that we talk about doing is rotating the gas just like you would your food. You can go and you can get 5 and 10 and uh, different varieties of volumes of gas cans and when you go once to fill up your gas tank, fill up a gas can too, put it in the garage. And so you always have that there, that fresh gas sitting there. And then before you go to fill up again, well, you pour off that gas into your tank and you go and you fill up the tank and you fill up that gas can again and then drop it back off at home again. That way you've always got fresh gas sitting around too, that you don't have to worry too much about using stable or uh, the other gasoline or diesel stabilizers. Right, right, and uh, so you've got. Uh, we've talked about water, and uh, you know there's other. In a in a pinch, you can always uh, drink the water from your hot water heater. Now, I wouldn't recommend recommend doing this all the time because it can get uh, you can get a uh, uh, you can get a, a lot of sediment builds up in the, yeah, the water heater it can and get. Uh, you know, heavy metals and other things in there yeah. that are not great. But just drinking uh, one tank of water from your water heater isn't going to kill you. You can drink the water from your toilet. It's the minute you hear something that's, uh, I'm not talking about the bowl, of course. I'm talking about the back. You can, uh, uh, one of the things that, that folks used to always do, and I remember when I was a kid, when the hurricanes were headed for Houston, first thing they would do is uh, go in the bathroom Take the bathtub and put the plug down at the bottom and fill it up, and uh, fill up the the bathtub, uh, and then uh, and then make sure that uh, you got a five gallon bucket in your house that you can use uh, for taking care of your uh, your waste, waste, personal waste. Right. Don't uh, when the water stops, it stops, and you don't want it to stop. When you got a toilet full of waste, so make sure you've got a bucket that you can use to be taking the waste and, uh, you know, taking it. You can dig a hole outside or something and put it in something to keep that waste out of your house. Because one of the one of the most important things you're going to have to realize is sanitation, is uh, making sure that you are keeping a very sanitary household, and uh, and you can't do that with having a bunch of waste in your house. 
So yeah. we got water. Got to talk you. about the food and uh, making sure. Before that... we get off water, real fast, um, there's a product called the Water Bob, and it goes in the bathtub. And just like the old bathtub concept, except this keeps the water nice and separate from the bathtub. It's got a pump built into it, so it pumps up the water from the bottom first. Um, and that's it's a great product if you are worried about hurricanes or any kind of water supply shortage or outage. Then uh, I'd they're pretty cheap too. I think for for one, it's under twenty dollars. Now I think I I think I saw this. Didn't I see this a while back on y'all's uh, website? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. All right. Well, let me give out. Let me give out. You or you guys give out your website real quick. People can be uh, can be uh, surfing your website while we're talking here. Go ahead and give out your okay. website. The website is in the rabbithole.com. And it sounds like a weird name, but it's uh, a domain name I've had for a while, but it's also a reference. And one of the things we try to do with the show is introduce as much humor into the show as we can. And so the the website name is also kind of a spoof. and It's kind of a way of us poking fun at being survivalists because if something's in the rabbit hole, well, it's kind of spooky and it's kind of secretive, which we're not, but... Um, but that is the address, and there's also a forum attached to it, and from there you can also get to our podcast, and we have a weekly podcast, and then we turn out about three to four, it's three additional articles a week. Right, you guys have a great, you guys do, a, they, uh, in the rabbit hole, folks, does a great deal of uh, of gear testing and uh, and stuff like that, and listen, Tell folks about uh, well, we're talking about the website real quick, and then we'll get back to to uh, Jonathan to you because I'd like to hear more about the bathtub thing. But yeah. uh, tell folks about what you guys are getting ready to do at your on the website. You got a uh, a new thing that you're getting ready to uh, spin up. Well, we're getting ready to spin up a membership program, and then shortly after that, we're going to be spinning up a gear shop and. The membership program is the the podcast is always go, always going to remain free, but the membership program will entitle people to additional content, some a bunch of videos we're going to start making on different stuff like how to make a rabbit a rabbit uh, hutch, how to how to properly purge your hot water heater every six months so that the water heater is clean, so that it is good drinkable water in an emergency, so things like that, and it's. It's also going to entitle members to discount on the gear when that comes out. And the gear, it's going to be more expensive gear than I think a lot of people are used to seeing. But one of the things we looked at was, well, you know, we can sell the same bug out bag, or we can sell Maxpedition bags, or we can sell all the same stuff that every other survival site sells, which it's just kind of silly to us at that point. We're just uh, another kid on the block selling products that we don't necessarily believe in, or right. we can strictly focus on things where we've spoken to the owner of the company. We've taken whatever the product is, we've abused it. And we know that that, that product is hands down is absolutely the best at whatever it does. So it's looking at products from a, Less of, I think what we're used to these days is where you buy something and in three to five years you throw it away. And it's, well, you know, if we're going to do it, might as well do it right and buy something that is going to last a lifetime and maybe even be an heirloom that gets passed down to kids. Right. Hey, listen, we got uh, uh, got somebody that has a, either a question or a comment, and I'm going to bring them on for you guys. You guys ready to take some uh, callers? Sure. sure. All right, here we go. Ewald, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Scout, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Oh, you know, things are just buzzing along here. Yeah, yeah. I know that, time, I know that I you're... I'm just going to say, I know that you are living a uh, prepping lifestyle. <laughs> now, why do you say that, my friend? <laughs> oh, just a feeling that I've got. Well, what do you got for us tonight? Well, you know, a, a comment, and I'll, and I'll feed into a question, and it, it always kind of amazes me that when I hear these types of conversations is that people overlook some of the really simple things. You know, I live here in the suburbs of Chicago, and uh, we had a pretty major blizzard here last February. And I've got a pretty good friend of mine who was one of these people who was driving his car down Lakeshore Drive when Lakeshore Drive got closed. And uh, he was stuck in his car there on Lakeshore Drive for a number of hours, and, you know, and finally the police and fire came and rescued him and all this type of stuff. And what strikes me is that this is a fairly squared-away guy, you know, in terms of his regular life. And yet he seems to think that this was the worst experience of his life when, in fact, you know, in terms of survival, this was a pretty simple situation. And it's like, dude, do you not have a blanket in the back of your car? Um, do you not yeah. keep half a tank of gas in the middle of the winter? Um, you know, in, in feeding off of that, I can. You know, I was sitting in a city meeting not too long ago where we were talking about tornadoes, and somebody said, yeah, if the tornado siren goes off, put your shoes on. And, again, you have all these <laughs> educated people who kind of sat there and went, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. And my questions to, to you know, the guests are, you know, what are some of those simple things that people can do? And, more importantly, how do you kind of spread that message? Because, you know, here you've got, a, you know, people with the means and the ways, and they're fairly educated, you know, and yet when it comes to just, you know, not even – major disasters like we would think of of prolonged power outages or, or water shortage or that type of thing, but just something as simple as driving down the road and getting stuck on Lake Shore Drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and that's one of the things we try to address stuff like that in the show or put articles out, and uh, we encourage people that if, if they come across somebody that they have an interest, you know, we during the week we put out a lot of how-to articles, and so we try to break it down and make it as simple and as applicable as possible. So it's, hey, have a gas can in your car, have, you know, a blanket in your car, have, you know, if if you're somebody like I wear sandals a lot of the time, but I still keep a pair of boots and a pair of wool socks in the car because you never know what's going to happen and how long, how far you may have to hoof it, whether we're talking about aliens attacking or whether we're talking about just running out of gas or the engine blowing up or anything. So and it's it's having the basic things available to you in the places that you're most likely to be. But as far as talking to people about it, it's, you know, people, one of the things when I really started writing, I, I, uh, a favorite author of mine kind of became a mentor to me. And I was having trouble with some of the articles that I was putting out. And some of them I was trying to be, you know, these big, heady philosophical con concepts and people weren't really commenting on them or they weren't really sharing them. And I could see lots of traffic. And then I would put out articles that to me were just ridiculous. Like what you're talking about with the guy, well, put on your shoes and man, people were eating it up. And so what I realized is it's, we live in a very fast paced world. People want quick, give me bullet point answers. Give me a list of things that I should have and a list of reasons why I should have them and then move on from there. So that's, that's kind of been my experience with it is give people stuff that's quickly and easily digestible. Yeah, and really quickly just to add to that, you know, I think the best way to bring up the conversation is exactly the way you did it with us. A funny story about a guy who got stuck in traffic without, you know, just the simplest of things like a blanket and a full tank of gas. 
will immediately get people going, oh, yeah, I should probably do that. And, you know, we always talk about easing people into the situation because you don't want to immediately throw out <clears throat> the worst-case scenarios. But simple prep is just keeping a blanket in your car. and We call it a, a car bug-out kit which doesn't have to be just for bugging out. It could be for bugging in, in your car. So that kind of stuff is um, is something that we really push on a regular basis. Yeah, you know, you talk about the, the uh, kid having the, when the siren goes off, having your shoes on. You know, that's that's the kind of things that we have lost, you know, that we've, that the yep. information that used to be uh, common sense, uh, everyday knowledge that everybody knew that we've lost. You know, when I was a kid, that was that was uh, pretty much common knowledge. You know, the the civil defense sirens went off every Friday at noon, but if they went off at any other time, it, you immediately got your clothes on and got dressed. You know, got your your tennis shoes on, stuff like that. Now, you know, I live rurally, so there's no civil defense. But if there's a storm, a lot of times, uh, well, if it's bad enough, I, I know that I'm going to lose uh, power and uh, lose the ability to see anything by satellite. So I make the, uh, I make the kids get uh, have all their gear ready to go, their clothes and everything, and their shoes right there, everything ready to go, and then I get bundled up and I go outside because I know I'm not going to be able to uh, hear anything uh, until the last second. And I just, uh, until the, the major part of the storm has passed, I'll just... Uh, stay outside where I can keep an eye and I can visually see something and uh, that'll give me enough time to get everybody out of the house and into the uh, storm shelter. I'm going to hang up and let you guys keep on going on. (laughs) Okay, well, I hope that answered your question. You bet. Well, the the, the car... Uh, is another is a really important point, especially for the folks in the city, because uh, y- you know you're going to spend folks in the city in the city spend a lot of time in their vehicles, and uh, oh, yeah. and just having the simple stuff is very important for our for our vehicles. <clears throat> I make sure that uh, uh, in each, in all of the vehicles we have not just the we've got blankets, uh, we also have uh, I have two two liter bottles of water. Uh, I also have uh, the uh, tire repair kits, you know, the plugs and the patches and everything, uh-huh. and a uh, plug-in air compressor. Uh, and then we keep the vehicles filled with fuel. But there's oh, there's also uh, medical kits in each of the vehicles, you know, a comprehensive medical kit, not just Band-Aids, but a comprehensive medical kit. All right. And one of the things I think a lot of people overlook is, you know, the the military expression of two is one, one is none. And I think that's something important, too, because you never know who's going to be with you. You know, it's, you know, do you need to put, you know, space, those little emergency space blankets don't take up much room. So you can always stick two of those in a bag. And it's it's having those basics. And um, I think, you know, another thing that a lot of people overlook is we've become so dependent and you know, and and not for bad reason, but with uh, we've become dependent on our cell phones. They are, if used properly, they are a fantastic tool in an emergency, uh, especially personal emergencies. And so, it's have another way of charging your cell phone. And people think, oh well, you know, I can use a cigarette lighter. Well, not if your battery died because the alternator went out. So it's 
you know, take care of those those critical pieces of your personal infrastructure. So it's, you know, having a way to keep yourself warm, water, you know, maybe some energy bars to get you through, you know, a couple hours, uh, and having a way to charge your cell phone that you can call for help. Right. Right. I see that I finally got the chat to open up for me. And, uh, and certainly uh, one of the things that you can do is uh, – they were talking in here about having all of the municipal uh, services numbers programmed in your cell phone. You know, that's a very mm-hmm. easy thing to do. And, uh, uh, you know, if the power goes out here, we lose our landlines and uh, we lose any ability to get information from anywhere and you lose your lights, et cetera. So it's a, it's a good idea to have the information uh, plugged into your cell phone so that you can give them a call yeah. real quick and let them know that your area is out of service for whatever it is. And yeah, we, go, go, go ahead, ahead John. Okay, we, we even like to think about the cell phone as not just a way to receive information but to send it. So if you're doing all right, you may not be able to make a phone call, but one of the things we found out during Ike, which, you know, as a lot of people know, was pretty nasty. Uh, I was without power for about two weeks and a few days, and I know Aaron was without power for almost three weeks. Um one of the things that we found out is you couldn't make a phone call, but you could send a text message. And even if that text message took six hours to get somewhere, which was not unusual, at least you could let your family know, hey, I'm doing okay, don't worry about me. Or you could send them the reverse of, hey, I need help, and here's where I am. Um, exactly. So and that, it, that is a very important yeah. point for folks because – in a in all of these situations, one of the things that can be very it can be very deadly is stress. Uh, yep. Stress is can be a killer just as much as high water or anything else. Mm-hmm. One of the ways to alleviate that stress for your family members and loved ones is to let them know that you're doing okay, or for you to be able to let somebody know that, like you said, that you're not doing okay. Can you please yep. uh, come and and try and uh, get to me? Something like that, so that uh, <clears throat> so that you can alleviate some of the stress. Mm-hmm. And another one of the things that I do is talking about cell phones is, you know, technology does fail us sometimes. So one of the things that we do is we keep like uh, the waterproof paper. They make the notepad was right in the rain. And so you can take and you can use a, like a, a Sharpie, the, one of the Sharpie pens that are permanent ink. And, you know, write your name in it and write your address and write down all of your personal information, including your health insurance. And I keep my uh, primary care physician's telephone number in there, you know, along with my health insurance information. And then underneath that, clearly marked, I have a list of family telephone numbers and then friends. And then I also keep a list of friends that are in law in all the different branches of law enforcement that I'm friends with. So that, and then on our cover, I write uh, emergency responders look inside so that they, you know, if they come upon me and I'm unconscious, they know. And they can open that up and they need, they have everything they need to know about me, uh, where, who I am, what my medical insurance is, and who, who are people that they might call. And blood type. Yes, and blood type. Thank you, John. No problem. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> Along those same lines, with information, uh, one of the things that uh, that I advise folks to do is to have all of your family's, uh, all of your information that you're going to need in uh, 
in the event of some situation like this, to have it all in one place, birth certificates, passports, uh, anything like that. Uh, first of all, keep it in a fireproof safe in your house, but then also keep it ready so that you don't have to try and dig through everything to find it. Uh, get it ready to go, put it in a traveling uh, device and have it ready to go with you. Uh, that's something that uh, that if you're getting ready to experience a tornado or something like that, you need to make sure that you have all of the important documents that you're going to need that they can leave with you. It won't take up a whole lot of space, but it's going to prevent a world of uh, a world of hurt if you let that stuff become dis- destroyed with the rest of your gear. Absolutely, and we we've there's two different kits that we've talked about and and that we go into, and one is the it's a personal information kit, which is what you're talking about. Put you know it's put all of your personal information in there you know, titles, deeds, everything that you need if your house got blown away. But another kit that we've we've started to go into is the personal operations manual, which is especially important within families because, you know, within families, you know, husbands and wives, we divide labor. And so, you know, if the inevi- if if the unthinkable does happen and one of them dies, well, you know, not only are you leaving them with grief, but what you can take care of is what are the things that you take care of and what what is your workload? You know, what are, if you're the the husband and you call the electrician, well, who is he? And and how does he, you know, are there any special notes about him? And, you know, what are, what are the accounts? And this is also something that in our, uh, my family business that we've had to do because there are jobs that both of my parents have done within the company for 40 years and they're very ingrained in it and you have to be able to know on a moment's notice what do they do how do they do it who are the people they interact with to get it done so it's it's very especially important for for families i think and if if you know if you have young young kids then that personal inf- that uh, personal operation manual it can also be something that goes to you know, a, a godparent, somebody that's going to take care of those kids if something happens to a husband and wife so that they right. know without skipping a beat how to, you know, if, if little Johnny has soccer on wet day and what, what he's allergic to, who are his doctors, so that you create as little of interrupt in other people's lives as you can and make things as easy for them as you can if something does happen to you. Right. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about security. Uh, <clears throat> we've talked about uh, water and food, and of course, of course, on the water. Let me add one more thing, and that is, uh, and this is one of the things that we also keep in the car, is having a device to filter your water, because you may be able to get some extra water. Uh, in your city, there's plenty of towns. In Houston, uh, I used to live right on a bio, but uh, good grief, I, I would be afraid to even <laughs> to soak my feet in that water, uh, let alone drink it. However, you can drink that water safely uh, with even some uh, some very minor preparation, and uh, they make plenty of, uh, of of fairly inexpensive devices to allow you to drink that water. So we keep. Uh, in the cars, we keep the one-liter filtrate uh, bottles, so you can get a you can get a liter of water in the bottle, and then the straw has a filtration device on it that allow allow you to drink water that is questionable uh, 
through with that device. And uh, there's plenty of water in the cities, but one of the things you got to remember is that it only takes uh, uh, a tiny, tiny microscopic thing to uh, either make you very sick or kill you in the water. And it's very, it's usually very prevalent in a lot of the water. So you need to make sure that the water that you're drinking is uh, safe to drink. You don't want to get sick uh, and have a uh, uh, have a bad case of uh, some kind of amoebic dysentery or anything like that if uh, if the hospitals are already overfilled or overflowing or you can't get to one. So make sure that you uh, that you have looked around and you get a, a device that will allow you to. Uh, screen or or to safely drink water that is questionable uh all right what do you guys uh have to say about security well i think security starts with the individuals which is situational awareness you know we have you know we talked a minute ago about cell phones and our fast-paced lives and we we have a tendency to walk around with our especially in the city our cell phones stuck in our ears, not paying attention to what's going on around us. And it's not that you need to be on red alert at all times, but at least, you know, maybe yellow. Paying attention when you're driving up to your home, are you paying attention to make sure that nothing is amiss, that, you know, your front door isn't hanging wide open, you know, telltale signs that say, hey, something's not right here and I need to hang back and figure it out uh, and maybe call the authorities and not, not try to be Rambo. But then we go beyond that, and you need to firm believers in firearms, obviously. And, you know, we think if you're in an area where you can carry, well, then by all means, you know, exercise your right and carry. Um, but, you know, and also going into have a home alarm, which in major disasters, they don't, they don't do, they're not going to call the police for you, but even if you could call the police in those situations, they're not going to be able to get to you. But what they can do is if you're home in the middle of the night, and even if those things can't call out, home alarms do a great job of waking you up and saying, hey, somebody's trying to come in. And if you've built up a good community, it'll also alert your neighbors. Exactly. Yeah, listen, whenever I talk to folks about uh, about security, one of the things I tell them is that <clears throat> security doesn't start with your uh, rifle or your handgun or shotgun, etc. Security starts just like you said with your attitude and your mindset. And one of the easiest things you can do for security is make sure that your doors and windows are locked. When you go in your home, yeah, you lock absolutely. your doors and windows because that automatically excludes about uh, 50 to 70 percent of the problems that you're going to incur right off the bat. Uh, we we also stress exterior lighting. Lots of exterior, right, exterior lighting, lighting. well lit property. Because you have plenty of folks that aren't, uh, if somebody's determined to get in your house, they're going to get in there. I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. uh, And the only way you're going to stop them is with your other security means. But there are tons of folks who are just uh, criminals of opportunity. That means if they walk up to the house and they try the door and it opens, then they'll go in. If it doesn't, then they move on. So you've already excluded a huge group of the bottom feeders right then and there uh, by keeping your doors and windows locked. That's a very easy thing to do. And your your threat level has to go up and down with uh, whatever the perceived or real threats uh, that you're facing is. But one of the easiest things you can do is just that, keeping your doors and windows locked. 
Exactly. And I think, you know, like Jonathan was saying a, a second ago, exterior lighting and motion-sensitive lighting is great um, so that you're not disturbing your neighbors. But criminals do not like light. If they see a well-lit-up home, they're not going to mess with it nine times out of ten because most criminals really are criminals of opportunity. They, they you know, they want the low-hanging fruit. They're, they're criminals for a reason. They, they're, they're lazy to begin with. Right. Yeah, d don't make their job easier for them. Right, and uh, and uh, having a cell phone is another big part of your security plan because uh, if the power goes out and or if uh, you have some criminal that uh, cuts your landline, uh, then you don't have any access to the outside except for your having your cell phone. Have the cell phone, have it charged, have a way of charging your cell phone. You know, they make plenty of devices now. Uh, I've got one here that uh, that was fairly inexpensive, and uh, you can just crank the handle. It doesn't take a long time. It doesn't take a lot of cranking. You can crank the handle to uh, spin up enough juice to power your cell phone, to recharge the batteries. Uh, and uh, and having your... Uh, uh, I've got uh, several flashlights, too, that I absolutely love. Now, they're not the most powerful ones, but uh, I never have to worry about batteries because I just take it out, uh, spin the crank for a couple of minutes, uh, actually just about 30 seconds, and I've got uh, a pretty good amount of light. But having the ability to have some light to see what's going on if it's in the dark and then uh, having a cell phone to be able to, to reach law enforcement, maybe they can't get to you, but maybe they can. Maybe there's not a uh, big disaster. Maybe it's just a local thing. And you want to be able to get uh, in touch with law enforcement uh, and let them know that you're having a problem. And the best way to do that is making sure that you have a cell phone and that you have it charged or you have a way of charging it. And a lot of uh, alarm companies have uh, several years back started offering the option to have your alarm on a cell phone connect on a cellular connection rather than a hard line. So that that also alleviates criminals being able to just cut your phone lines. Right. All right, now, what about, uh, and there's no real reason to, uh, uh, I don't know if you can, we really have to talk a lot about firearms. Most of the folks in uh, in Appleseed are pretty much, Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a subject that you could devote uh, 25 different shows to, and you can get into about uh, at least 50 fistfights over. And that oh, is, absolutely. <laughs> the different firearms you can have. Let me just say this. Just have a firearm and know how to use it. You can do part yep. of that by going to an apple seed, and uh, we'll be glad to show you how to safely and competently use your firearm. What about uh, energy? What about uh, having a way to cook that food uh, or to have lights that uh, that can be part of your security or just part of keeping your life semi-normal by having a light at night uh, to see your food that you're eating or to put a Band-Aid on a cut, stuff like that. What do you guys uh, suggest for that? So we've got a, a great show that we recommend your listeners go out to. It's all about generators, and that's a great one. Uh, we also have – we've had a few discussions about uh, smaller solar-powered things that really aren't ready for prime time. Unless you're talking about charging a cell phone or a laptop or something like that, but the big ones really aren't ready for prime time. And then uh, right. personally, I have a little small gas generator 
It's a 2000 watt uh, Honda generator that I love. Um, if I wasn't uh, currently looking to sell my house, I'd probably be putting a big natural gas generator on it uh, because from everything I've, I've read and heard, that's the way to go. Um, but we do recommend backup sources of power. We think it's a great idea. We've become so accustomed in our lives to having power that not having it is tantamount to really just you're doing yourself a disservice by not having some form of alternative power. Right, and folks don't, uh, I'm telling you, folks take having power, water, uh, natural gas, uh, electricity, they take it so absolutely for granted. Uh, oh, yeah. If you, want to, if you want to figure out what it's like, uh, pick a day, pick a Saturday or a Sunday and say, all right, <clears throat> Uh, you, you can go over to the uh, breaker box, and you can cut the power off. You can go out uh, to your uh, water line. You can turn it off, and then and live that way for six or seven hours, or uh, or ten hours, and take a look at it. Take a look and see yeah, sure. what uh, what you're what you're not going to be able to do, and then figure out how to get around that. Oh yeah, exactly. Sure. Try to do that on a summer day in August in uh, either Austin or Houston or or where you are, Scout. And you know, you'll I think people will quickly figure out that that's not a way they want to live. <laughs> right, and there's and there's plenty of ways that you can figure out how to get around it. You know, you mentioned natural gas. I think that now, if you're living in an urban situation, it may not be as easy for a lot of folks because uh, if you're in an apartment, you certainly don't have you don't have an option to, to get a tank, but uh, maybe you've got a home, and maybe there your 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 zoning will allow it. But having a tank of uh, you know a 250 or 500 or heck, if you're if you can afford it, get you a, a 1,000 gallon uh, natural gas tank, and they get the stuff that will uh, that will work off of that. Get you some uh, propane lanterns, some uh, uh, a natural gas stove, uh, and that way uh, you'll be able to. You'll be able to cook your food. You'll be able to provide for your lighting, uh, and uh, it's a great way. Like you said, you've got uh, you were talking about looking at a generator to run on propane or natural gas. <clears throat> it's a great way to to store that. Uh, I've got I have both. I've got uh, propane lanterns, but then I've also uh, bought uh, uh, when they when they started coming out the uh, multi fuel lamps yeah. from, uh, I believe I got them just from Walmart. Now, they're semi-expensive, but the good thing is they'll run on whatever fuel you can put in there. And, uh, you know, if you if you can if you can go out and siphon some gas out of a car, you can put it in that, uh, that uh, lantern, and it'll run on it. And uh, one of the things you've got to remember is that, uh, that the lantern itself isn't going to do any good without fuel, and without having some spare mantles, so I make sure exactly. that uh, I go to Walmart every uh, every couple of months, and I'll buy another dozen mantles, and they go inside a plastic, uh, uh, a waterproof <laughs> plastic container, and uh, and I've probably got uh, seventy or eighty mantles now that I've been stocking up on because you. Uh, the mantles only last so long. You bump it or you tip it over something, they break, and then doesn't matter if you got 500 gallons of fuel. You're not gonna, nothing's gonna light without the mantle. So make sure that you have backups for all of your, for your gear, all the spare parts you need, 
all the extra mantles, uh, that you have uh, fuel for it or a way of getting fuel. <clears throat> and I believe you you brought up the uh, – uh, what was the uh, – what's the, the saying for spare parts? The uh, Of two is one, one is none. Yep. There you go. Two is one, one is none. Make sure that you use that. You keep that in your mind when you're preparing. Make sure that you've got uh, – when you have a flashlight – Make sure that you've got an extra uh, uh, bulb for the flashlight. Make sure that you've got some good batteries. Make sure that you have uh, a different, uh, some other form of, of getting light, uh, like a uh, hand-generated light, uh, and then keep building on that so that you have layers uh, of gear with different options that you can use for running it. Uh, living a... Of course, now guys are more are more prone to when I say living a survival lifestyle is actually kind of fun uh, because you know guys usually are gearheads and they love to uh, to find new gear and, and purchase new gear and take a look at it and see how it runs and stuff like that. But this is something that uh, that you can't do all at once unless you're very uh, independently wealthy. So you need to live a lifestyle like this so that you're picking up. Uh, some extra batteries one week, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, you're getting a you know another extra package of batteries that you're you're uh, purchasing your food this way, that you're thinking about other additional needs that you have and putting away for them or purchasing them and then running them, uh, making sure that you've got that the food that you're stocking up that you're rotating it and running it through. Uh, I'm sure that you could eat a a uh, thing of ramen or a can of food after it's been sitting there for a year or so, but it's not going to taste as good uh, as it is if you eat it uh, within the, the first uh, two or three months after you've bought it. So make sure oh, yeah. that uh, as you're buying this stuff that you're that you're rotating through it. Any other ideas yeah. that you guys have for uh, for providing energy for yourself in the event of emergency? Well, unfortunately, once you get past generators and you get into stuff like solar and wind and, and battery backup systems, you start getting into some pretty expensive stuff. They can be built up over time for relatively inexpensive uh, pieces at a time are relatively expensive. But, it, you know, and it's it's going back to the kits for, for just a second that, you know, even if you are – You've got a blue sky million dollar budget, and you can go out and buy everything tomorrow. You know, we recommend that people don't do that because yeah. if you buy everything at once, it kind of goes back to that you might fall asleep. It's buy things one at a time, try them out, understand what you've got, understand how they work, and and then move on to the next thing. But to come back to power, power gets really tricky in a survival situation, and we start there. There does have to start being allowances for that of of understanding you know, how to open the right windows in your home so that you can get a cross breeze and, you know, just understanding your weather for that matter. But you can get into some big solar rigs, but, you know, I was working with a uh, company recently. We have uh, my family's business. Uh, the building is about uh, an acre in size, and we were looking at doing solar for that. And even with a giant acre warehouse with you know it's an acre of roof space and most of it facing south it still wasn't there wasn't enough room to generate enough power for the building 
and we're not a power intensive building. And then you run into similar problems with homes uh, in the, in the city and that there's just not enough room. And then you also run into issues where the cities uh, will, and most cities are starting to have people put in automatic kill switches so that if the grid does go down, so does your solar system so that it's not feeding power back into the grid so that you don't electrocute linemen that come out to try to repair it, which <laughs> I, I don't, which I, I think that's great that they're, but you know, I, I was, when I was talking to a company recently about it, I'm like, it seems like there'd be a better way. Cause on generators, they have a kill switch that will cut your structure off completely from the grid so that it doesn't feed power back into the system where they've got some, ordinance at least here in in houston they've got an ordinance where it it cuts the whole thing down i'm like well that kind of defeats the purpose for emergency purposes but it it may be different in other areas and wind wind is you know most cities have deed restrictions and stuff that make you know erecting a big windmill in your backyard kind of difficult if not impossible and wind as i think jonathan was uh, working on a project recently that involved wind and it's just you know, it's great and big, you know, where you've got West Texas and you can put giant windmills out there. But for most people, it's just it's so inefficient at this point. It's not yeah, going to generate enough. It's just not cost effective unless you can have your own little wind farm in West Texas. Uh, right. Power, basically cabled directly to your house. And, you know, I just want to go back also a little bit, Scott. You're talking really well about the um, the idea of not spending a whole bunch of money on all of it very quickly. And Aaron alluded to the fact that it keeps you awake. But even beyond that, uh, it, it's just a fiscal responsibility is all part of this also. So being fiscally conservative and, and building up a stockpile over time is the way to do it. In addition to that, there is a uh, the website for Alaska's version of Homeland Security has a great list Hello? and process for, uh, for basically Hello? building up your – yes? Did we lose our connection? I don't know. Looks like it. Or yeah, we might have. Did I drop off? Yeah. Can you hear us, Scout? Can you guys hear me? I can. We can hear you. If uh, if I'm still going out over the air, somebody uh, put it in the chat that you can hear me. You're all on the air. Okay. Can you hear? I can only hear, I can only hear I can't hear anything. I can't hear anybody else. Huh. Scout, okay. I can't hear. Okay, now I can hear you. Oh, okay. So so what I was saying was uh around fiscal responsibility and building up a stockpile over time. The whole idea is uh so actually where I was going with it was Alaska's uh homeland security has a great list of how to build up a survival kit, and their version of a survival kit is far more than just what FEMA has. I mean, they, they do talk about having 14 days to three weeks' worth of supply because, again, it's Alaska. So when they, when they talk about something going wrong, it's for a long period of time. But they talk about building up a really good supply, and they do it over the course of a year, <clears throat> and they show you what to buy each week for 52 weeks. And Perfect. it's a great list. We've got a link uh, on our website for that 
And, uh, Scout, we'll send it over to you, so if you need to post it anywhere, you can also. But uh, it is give a us, fantastic. Give us, the, give us your website again. It is. Oh, go, go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead, John. <laughs> All right. In I N V T H E Rabbit R A B B I T Hole H O L E dot com. In the Rabbit Hole dot com. And I'll try to while we're talking, try to pull up the uh, specific place that that list was in. Yeah. Right. Well, when I was talking about uh, when I'm talking about the energy. <clears throat> yes. If you can get a uh, a source to run everything, that's great. And I certainly would advise folks to look into generators and stuff like that. <clears throat> but at the same time, you you can, if you can't afford that, or if you can't do that, then you can bust your energy down into blocks. And uh, you can do that by, well, uh, let's see, the group, the pod that's uh, out in Alabama, you know, they just, uh, they have actually had uh, uh, quite a bit of experience recently with uh, with the tornadoes that came through there. One of the things that they found out uh, uh, immediately is that uh, if you don't have propane tanks, then uh, you're not going to get any propane. So make sure that uh, if you have uh, one of the things that you can do is in order to cook your food is you can have a propane uh, grill that you use to cook your food, and, uh, you know, that'll, that'll cook your meats and stuff like that that you have, and it'll also uh, heat up any canned food or anything like that, boil water, etc. But it ain't going to run without the tank. So make sure that you have uh, uh, a couple of full tanks, you know, prepared and ready to go. Same thing with your with your lighting. Make sure that you have uh, ways that you can uh, run your lighting through uh, Coleman lanterns and stuff like that. Make sure that you have ways that you can uh, you, you can bust your energy up into usable blocks. Uh, if you don't have a propane stove, maybe you've got a uh, charcoal grill. Well, make sure you've got a couple of sacks of charcoal, uh, and that uh, uh, if you if it's uh, in the wintertime, make sure that you've got uh, a heater that you can safely use in your house that runs off uh, kerosene or propane or something like that, and that it is. Uh, up and ready to go, and uh, just like uh, Jonathan, just like you were talking about uh, doing it uh, and running it, and that's kind of what I was talking about. I, I didn't add it in, but what I was talking about with the the pick a day to uh, to run on alternative uh, methods, and uh, yeah. that is, uh, you know, you pick a day like uh, Saturday or Sunday or something. You say, all right. We're cutting off the power and water, and we're going to do something else. We're going to use our propane to uh, uh, to cook the food. We're going to use uh, the Coleman lanterns uh, to light, and that way you have experience with them. Because the last thing you want to do is uh, is not ever have run any of your equipment and have the lights and everything go out and say, "Okay, we're going to have to get the we're going to have to get the Coleman's out." You get them out, and you go, "Okay, now how do I do this?" And you're trying to figure it out with either no light or with a kid holding a shaky light on it, and you're you can't get the mantles tied or you don't know how to pump it up or uh, and you're already at a high stress level. You don't want to do that. Make sure that you yeah. uh, that you're rehearsing these uh, these things and you're practicing 
with your equipment and stuff as you go along so that so that everything isn't hitting you at once. Yeah, you don't want the just like you don't go out camping and set up your tent for the first time when you go out, you don't want to do any of this stuff for the first time. <laughs> and I mean a wise a wise, wise man once told Aaron and I, and Aaron's gonna laugh when he hears it, but basically it's the whole idea of you don't want the first time you have to do something to be the first time you ever get that thing. Yeah. So Especially with your family. A lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you uh you certainly don't want to be uh be trying to figure out how to uh if you want to have a good camping trip, a pleasurable camping trip, don't get to the location uh at dark or after dark with a tent <laughs> exactly. that you've never set up before. Okay? We, we, That's guaranteed we to ruin your trip. We know that guy. <laughs> yes. We we took him to the Davis Mountain. Same thing with making sure that you're prepared at home for an event. Make sure that you uh that you've gotten your Coleman's out just on a regular night and you've set them up and you've read the directions and you've uh practiced lighting it a few times and letting it run, seeing how long it's going to uh uh how long how it's going how long it's going to run, how much your lights you're gonna get from it. Uh make sure that you've practiced running all this stuff and uh, and that it's not going to be a new that you're not going to have to teach yourself uh, a new skill in a stressful situation exactly and that that really is you know you were talking a minute ago about the the worst time to set up your new tent is in the dark and you've never done it before on your camping trip and you know, we we watched a friend do that, and that that's also why we tell people, you know, slow down, buy things one at a time, understand what you have. And one of the things that we've said on the show a few times that uh, we re- we recently kind of elaborated on is that we tell people, don't buy things you don't know how to use. And it's not that we don't want people to ever buy certain things. You know, it's it's not an excuse for not doing it. It's what we're really trying to do is motivate people to say, oh, you know, if I buy that widget X that does whatever, it, if I don't know how to use it, it, it's completely useless to me. And the chances that somebody else is going to be around me necessarily that's going to have to be able to use it, that that may or may not happen. And, and as yeah. a prepper, I'd much rather be the one that's like, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to learn how to use it, and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Right, Exactly. Pick up a uh, piece of gear that you need, and one of the best ways you can do that is by, if you're if you're looking for a place to start, go to www.intherabbithole.com and take a look, because they do a lot of great uh, gear reviews on there. And check out the gear and look and see if there are things that you might need for yourself and your family uh, that you haven't purchased yet and you would like to look and see uh, what is a good uh, way of, of lighting, or what is a good uh, radio system, or what is a, a a good piece of equipment that I need to get? Take a look at their reviews of it and uh, read their reviews of it. <clears throat> Make your decision, purchase the gear, learn how to use it, and then uh, then roll it up and uh, store it away where it goes, and then move on to the next thing and master the next uh, piece of gear that you get so that you're not doing this uh, for the first time in a stressful situation. It's no different than what we do at Appleseed. If uh, if you buy a rifle and you say, okay, when I, when I need to shoot a rabbit to uh, feed my family, I'll just go and I'll get it out of the box and I'll unwrap it and, 
and then I'll get some ammunition. If you've thought to get ammunition for it, then I'll get some ammunition and put it in it, and I'll shoot the rabbit, and then we'll cook it. <clears throat> well, that's a good theory, but until you do it, uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't plan on eating that rabbit until I shot it. Well, we're going to teach you how to do that at an apple seed. Uh, we're going to teach you how to safely and competently uh, use that rifle, and then you're going to keep rehearsing uh, and practicing with that rifle so that you can do that uh, when you need to. I would also practice skinning the rifle, the rabbit, and cooking it too before I before I was uh, <laughs> planning on eating it. Uh, that's that's probably a good call. That. But these are things that you're going to need to do beforehand. So take uh, take Aaron and Jonathan's advice. Prepare for this. Like I said, this is a, a lifestyle that you're going to be living. You're going to be getting, you picking up your pieces of gear, being learning to master them, and you're going to move on. And you're going to get to go to your next section, and and this can be a very rewarding lifestyle that you're living because you're going to know down inside that uh, this is part of your preparation for ensuring your, yourself and your family's uh, welfare in the event of, uh, of some type of emergency. Let me also tell you guys that, uh, that Aaron and Jonathan, they have the podcast that they put out. And uh, personally, I, I love having uh, the ability to, uh, to download a podcast and then to listen to it while I'm at work and uh, because I don't, I don't get a lot of good radio stations or anything like that, and I like to have something to listen to while I'm working. So I download uh, the episodes that uh, they put out, and they are very, uh, very helpful and uh, very pleasurable to listen to. And, uh, and I advise you guys, I encourage you, to download the, uh, the podcast that they have and listen to those. Uh, you can do it while you're riding to work, or you can do it uh, uh, while you're eating lunch, anything like that, and uh, and it will help you become a provider for your family. Thanks, so, Scott. Uh, that was uh, we got just great. a couple of minutes left, but uh, uh, Jonathan, Aaron, uh, give us a uh, give us something to uh, sink our teeth into before we uh, before we leave here. <laughs> no pressure. Um, well, uh, no, I, I think overall we've covered a lot of it. And I think the real key here is just like you said, ease into this. This is not something you have to do overnight. It's a lifetime adventure. Um, you know, if you prepare for the worst, then you're going to be able to do anything. And when I say prepare for the worst, that means getting prepared. It means learning everything you can. Like you said, it's a very fulfilling thing. I know Aaron and I have both been, uh, we've really, enjoyed the journey. One of the reasons we started doing the podcast was really just to tell people about how much fun this journey has been. And, you know, we went to, I know Aaron originally went to Appleseed because of it. He came back, told me all about Appleseed. I went, I loved it. I had a blast and, you know, I'm looking forward to the next one, which I think I'll be going to the one after Thanksgiving. Hopefully that boot camp will be the one I'm at scout. So you'll see me then. Um, and but like everything in life, it is a journey, and it's one you should take, you know, slowly, cautiously, but with as much enthusiasm as you can possibly put into it. And when you do that, you're going to walk away from it a better person. Whether you have to survive a hurricane or a tornado or not, you end up a more knowledgeable, better contributor 
to overall society. Because when you know how to do things, you know how to take care of yourself, you can then actually do things and take care of others as well. And uh, well, that's listen, something we really push. I appreciate you guys uh, giving the time tonight. And uh, you guys come back on in a few weeks. When, he, uh, when Aaron and Jonathan come back on, they're going to talk to us about uh, how to survive with just a soda, a soda can. <laughs> all right, guys. Yep. Well, we'll see you, everybody. Thanks again, everybody who called in tonight. Thanks to all you who listened, and we'll see you next Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. Central. Thank you. God bless everybody, and good night. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. That was great. All right. Listen, you guys take care, and uh, and we will talk to you again in a few weeks. You too. Sounds good. All Bye. right. Bye-bye.